Welcome to Pastor Stephen Samuel's podcast, where it's our desire that you'll be encouraged and empowered to live as a disciple-making follower of Jesus. I teach you from the scriptures tonight about deliverance and finding freedom. In the Gospel of Mark, which was the earliest of the synoptic gospels written, the gospels written, the first miracle Jesus does is casting out demons. Now we know turning the water into wine is probably chronologically the first one he did. But in Mark's gospel and throughout all the gospels, Jesus cast out demons very regularly. He cast out demons in the synagogue, on the street, uh, in the temple, outside the temple, everywhere he went, there was demons, and he cast them out pretty regularly. In fact, I think there's a total count between all four gospels, 66-something times that Jesus casts out demons, right? So it happens often. And we're in a culture where naturalistic framework in our ideas, uh, in our culture today, where we don't give a lot of attention to spiritual things, right? It's a very limited scope that we try to say things are spiritual. But in most of the world, the um, regular reference to spiritual dynamics is common, right? Most of the world... They understand their spirits everywhere, right? Especially where I'm from in India, you cannot escape that reality. There are idols everywhere. You know, there's statues to idols everywhere, demons that they're painted on walls, and they're very aware of the demonic. So in our naturalistic framework, where we're very scientific and very academic, we don't have a grid for that as much as other cultures. And I'm saying that to say that's kind of why it wigs out people a lot. When you start talking about demons and spirits and angels, they're like, oh, you're one of those loony guys, right? Um, but the truth is, that world exists. And in fact, that world created this world, right? The things that are seen are made by the things that are not seen, right? God's realm, the spirit realm, made the natural realm. That's what the Bible tells us. And so, first let me t- point you to this, this truth that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 46. And I'm going to go through a lot of passages here because I don't want to just give you my opinion and my ideologies. I want you to go to the scriptures and find these things for yourself. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 46, Paul talks and he says that we are spiritual beings. We're spiritual beings. So when God made man in Genesis chapter uh, 2, verse 7, I believe, he says that God made man out of the dust of the ground, the clay of the ground. He formed him and then he breathed into man his breath, living breath, and man became a living soul, right? One trans, other translations say he became a living being. And because man is made in the likeness and the image of God, God is a triune being, and man is a triune being. So if you have any problems understanding how the Trinity works, it works just like you work. You're a spirit in a body with a soul, just like God is a father and a son and a spirit, right? Inside of you, the real you, who you are, the part of you that's processing what's happening right now, you are a spirit being. And you live in a body. To live on earth, you have to have a body. If you don't have a body, you can't come in here, right? You can't live on this earth. The body, as all of us know, and we complain about very often, is either too too cold, too hot, too tired, your body is functioning in this world. But the body only lives because the spirit is there. And we see that uh, phenomenon happen when somebody dies, they leave their body. And it's the moment the spirit leaves the body, the body is, it's dead, right? That's why we can take parts of your body sometimes after you die or even sometimes when you're alive and put it in other people's bodies and it will live because there's a spirit in there that's giving life to the organs, Right? I don't have time to get into all that because, number one, I don't understand all that. (laughs) Number two, it's just way more over my head, right? But 
you're a body and you have a spirit. And then you also are a soul. You have a mind, a will, and an emotions, right? And those are cultivated by who you are and how you feel and how you think through your experiences that shapes you a little bit and then just through your genetics that shapes you a little bit and then your who you are as a spirit shapes your composition, who you are. And we don't have time to go into all that except to say you're a spiritual being and you can sense things whether you have definition for it or not in your vocabulary as a spirit. That's why children can learn to understand you before they learn how to talk, Right? They're spiritual beings that respond to you as a spirit, right? And when you speak to them, even though they don't have the mind capacity to understand vocabulary, they know when you're angry. You don't have to say, look, this is an angry face. They get it, right? They know when you're happy because we can communicate on that level because we are spirit beings. And because we're spirit beings, we are influenced by the spirit realm, right? Adam was born, was made, I'm sorry, uh, spirit, soul, and body, and he lived in the natural world, but he had access to God's realm all the time. God came to him in spirit form. God is a spirit, and Adam could recognize God as a spirit, talk to God as a spirit, and throughout his, his time span that we don't know, he spoke with God regularly, face to face. God spoke to him, right? And then throughout the scriptures, you see numerous encounters where people speak to God. God is a spirit speaking to them, and there's a sensitivity to the spirit realm. Okay, so... Knowing that we have access to the spirit realm, it's not just Christians who have access to the spirit realm. Every human has access to the spirit realm. Some people do it through uh, ways that are damaging, like mediums and sorcery and, you know, channeling spirits and tarot cards, but they have access to the spirit realm. Some people, they have just a higher sensitivity. You ever been around people that just seem like they have a high level of intuition? They're, they're spiritually just in tune with things, right? We call them sometimes weird and, like, stay away from them, but... They're just sensitive to spiritual things, right? Because you're a spiritual being. With that sensitivity to spirit being, spiritual realm, come problems that are imposed upon us by spiritual beings that are not from God. And the scripture broadcasts them or vaguely, uh, I'm sorry, categorizes them as demonic, right? They're demonic, they're demons, right? And don't, don't let that word scare you. They're just spirit beings who are not submitted to the lordship of Jesus, right? I don't know how many spirit beings there are out there. The scriptures indicate there's a lot of them, different types, right? Even in the angelic worlds, there's various types of angels. And we don't have time to go into all that demonology stuff, but here's what I'm telling you. That realm affects us all the time. Primarily, it affects you in the thing that dictates your behavior, which is called your mind. Most of the scriptures that speak of spiritual warfare are speaking about battle in your thinking, right? When it says passages like in Ephesians where it says the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, he's not talking about tearing down a building somewhere. He's talking about tearing down ways of thinking that have controlled you for a long time. And those ways of thinking have been imp implemented or established in your thinking by the voice of the enemy, which is a lie, right? Lies come into our thinking. They begin to communicate to us tr things that they are assumed to be true, but they're really not, and that begins to guide your behavior. Does that make sense? You can have a lie. Let's say as a kid, somebody lies to you and says, you're ugly, right? And they plant that lie, no matter how you look, physically on the outside. You may be gorgeous, you may be handsome, but you believe you're ugly, and that lie can create a stronghold that will alter the way you behave for the rest of your life until somebody comes along and helps you break the lie. 
right? And when the lie is broken, freedom comes, right? Okay, so how can you tell whether a problem is demonically related or caused by something, something else? I pulled this from uh, Robert Morris's book, Truly Free. It says, the main way we can tell if a problem is demonically related is the inability to overcome it on our own. Three main doors that either, three main doors that either open a person to the demonic activity or signs of demonic activity are continued willful sin- sinning, continued illness or activity, or a sign of demonic activity that is continued. So willful sinning, willful uh, sickness and disease, and then what's the last one? Uh, uh, did I miss it? Participation in the occult. Sorry, I stopped a little too soon. And he gets that passage, he gets those tenets from Luke chapter 10, verses 10, uh, Luke 13 from verses 10 to 17. And basically the issue is this. If you have tried as a believer to overcome a habit in your life and you keep hitting a brick wall, it's a sign, indicator, this is more than just your will not under control. This is demonic oppression, stronghold in your thinking, and it needs to be broken. Now, when I say that, there's this tendency to think, oh, God, I might have a demon. It's okay. There's a good chance it's just the oppression of the enemy. He's lied to you for so long, and you've believed the lie, and now you may know the truth in your head, but you don't believe it in your heart, and so therefore you're held captive by false ways of believing. Does that make sense? You can have a lot of knowledge about what the truth is, but never believe it in your heart. In the book of 1 Timothy, it says, it says in the last days, men will uh, continually grow in wisdom, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. What does that mean? They don't believe what they know, right? Um, all right, stay with me. How does a person, how does a de- demonic power gain influence? And we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27 for this. And in that passage, Paul says this. He says, give no place to the devil. Give what? No place to the devil. And he's, in the context of what he's preaching there, the whole passage, he's talking about how the enemy comes in through Lying, stealing, fornication, ungodliness, adultery, and he goes through sexual sins, anger, strife. And he says all these things are works of the flesh. But before that, he says, first, give no place to the devil. I want to tell you something. The way the enemy has influence in your life is if you allow it. You have to allow it. Now, number one, that tells us you are very powerful in what you will allow and disallow in your life. You have that authority. Now, some people believe they have no authority, and the belief that you have no authority gives the enemy authority to keep you in bondage that you have no authority, right? What does the Bible say? We have the authority. In fact, the first sin uh, murder committed in the Bible was Cain when he killed his brother Abel, and God came to him and says, why are you hiding? And of course, the excuse is, you know, he killed his brother. But then he says, if you're displeased, if I'm displeased with your sacrifice, it's because sin is laying at the door. And its desire is to consume you, but you should rule over it. God is telling Cain, long before redemption, that he should rule over sin. He had the authority, but he allowed hatred to come into his heart against his brother, which led him to murder, which is a violation of God's law which leads to demonic oppression. And then you find later Cain is tossed, chased back and forth across the earth as a vagabond, tormented. Why? Because he allowed 
the voice of the enemy to lead him to a place where he had no more control. Okay? So you have control when, when you are, as a follower of Jesus especially, you have the authority to allow or disallow. That's why Jesus would later say, whatever things you bind on earth, they'll be bound in heaven. Whatever things you loose on earth, they'll be loosed in heaven. Why? Because that authority is what Jesus came to put back into the hands of the church. Does that make sense? Okay. How does, uh, so let's talk about kids. And let's say, well, let's say, when do you get that authority? I believe there's a point in the old timers, the ancient church, they used to call it the age of accountability, where you not only have authority over your life, but as a parent, grandparent, you also have authority over your kids and your grandkids' life, right? Now, that means they're in your household. You have authority, like not just legal, but like an influential authority. You can allow things into your kids' lives. You can disallow things into your kids' lives. I promise you, you set your kid in front of the wrong thing on TV, and you are disallowing or you're allowing wrong things into their life. And that is because of your authority, right? And you can really jack up kids if you don't know the authority you have to allow and disallow wicked things in their, in their thinking, right? My wife and I, we have the conversations all the time about what we're going to allow our kids to watch, what we're not going to allow them to watch. Right? We never expose them to witchcraft. and demo- Even if it's comical sometimes, we're not going to expose them to that. Why? Because we have the authority of what comes into their soul and what doesn't come into their soul. Does that make sense? And if you think, oh, Stephen, that's just a bunch of you know, helicopter parent. Listen, you can call it whatever you want, but I'm going to make sure my kids fear the Lord to the best of my ability. Right? And I would rather be conservative and they miss out on a few things than not know what I'm doing and then realize I made a train wreck later. Because I'm responsible for my kids, okay? Um, So how can you give place which leads to oppression and then to possible possessions of the enemy? How do you give place to that? Now, notice the chain there. First, you have to give the enemy a place in your thinking, a place in your life. And he'll come in. Now, that doesn't mean you're possessed with a demon. But what that means is he has access. And many times, and we'll go over the three ways here, many times we give the enemy place by giving ourselves to sin. You break the law of God, you give the enemy place. And then, oh, it's just a little sin, nobody's going to bother anybody, it's just me, and nobody knows about it. Listen, hiding sin is how the demonic begins to grow. Demons are like mushrooms, they grow in the dark. You know what I'm saying? The more you hide it, the more powerful it becomes. And then there's shame, and now I can't really tell anybody, because if people really knew what I was dealing with, then... They'll think less of me, shame is there, fear is there, and then we hide it. And the more you hide it, the more powerful the lie gets. Because the truth is you have authority over it, right? The truth is you've been forgiven. The truth is if you'll confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the truth. But if I hide my sin, then the enemy has a place. Does that make sense? And so how does... He get a place. The first thing I listed here is the generational line. There are things that follow, follow, follow your bloodline. This is often expressed in genetic dispositions toward beha- behaviors. Listen, grandpa was an alcoholic. Y'all heard this before, right? Grandpa was an alcoholic. Dad was an alcoholic. I guess I'm just going to become an alcoholic. Well, number one, you believing a lie, right? But then genetically, scientists can tell you right now that there are predispositions in your genes of things that have happened in generations before you, which will influence you. That does not give us the right to advocate that weakness. What it tells you is you're in a battle, right? 
Just because grandpa was an alcoholic, great-great-grandpa was an alcoholic, doesn't mean you're okay. God made you that way. That's a lie. Does that make sense? God didn't make anyone to sin. We're all born broken, right? So I've heard that. Well, God made me this way. No, he didn't. When God made man, he made Adam, and he said, this is good, right? This is good. So God didn't make humanity broken. He made him perfect. But when sin entered in, death came. And when death came, destroyed humanity, right? And then from generation to generation to generation, sin has been transferred. The effects of sin in our physical body and our genetic composition has been transferred. That's why Jesus had to be virgin born. So he wouldn't have that effect, right? He was born of a virgin, meaning his bloodline came from God himself, right? Says that's why the blood of Jesus has power to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, okay? So you can have generational things. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Stephen, when I got born again, doesn't that mean all that stuff went away? Yes and no. Yes, the blood of Jesus, you're now in his bloodline, but sometimes we have to be aware of the predispositions we have towards sin, toward the bondages. And many times, listen, there's generational things that try to come on you, and you have to stand in the authority you have as a believer to say, this is not who I am anymore, right? And repentance, sometimes not for your sins, but the sins of generations before you, breaks the power of the enemy to lie to you any longer. Does that make sense? The next thing, how are we doing? We're good. Habitual sin, and that's the big one. Whoever continues in sin gives the devil the right to influence their thoughts. And there's the passages, 1 John 3, 8, 1 John 1, 9. Um, and I listed for you just kind of categorically, we're not going to talk about every sin out there, right? The first one, uh, which we find very often tied with sexual, um, I'm sorry, with demonic activity, is substance abuse, sexual sin, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, prostitution, pornography. Now notice, all sexual sins are listed in there. And when the scriptures talk about sexual sins, all of them are put together. You know why? Because all of them have the same effect. They separate you and give place for the enemy to come into your thinking, right? I know in the church many times we look at sexual sins like these are really bad and these are okay. Listen, they're all bad, right? They all will destroy your relationship with Jesus if you give place to the enemy, right? Okay, um, unforgiveness. This is a big one, and I'm telling you this because when I'm doing deliverance ministry, this is the thing many times that the enemy finds place in, unforgiveness. And what does that mean, unforgiveness? Well, Stephen, I've forgiven everybody. Unforgiveness means you're still holding out that God or somebody or something will pay someone back for what they did to you and how they made you feel. Or when you think of the person that hurt you, there is this rise inside of you of anger, bitterness, whatever. Sometimes it's just hurt. But the hurt goes deeper than just, I was hurt. It's, I was hurt, and now I need to do something about it, right? Unforgiveness is powerful because a lot of times people think, well, it's just a natural response. It is, but it's not a spiritual response, right? It's a natural response, but it's not a godly response. The godly response is forgiveness. The Bible says Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. His natural response was to forgive. While we were yet sinners, that's the passage I was looking for, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His, natural, his supernatural response to sin is forgiveness. Human's natural response to sin is 
our, uh, our offenses are bitterness, anger, strife, revenge, right? Forgiveness is the place many times the enemy comes in and sits on. If you don't forgive people from your heart, and listen, we're in a culture where people get hurt a whole lot, right? And I'm not saying culturally, but we're in a time, an era where hurt is around every corner. I have yet to meet someone that was raised in the perfect family. If you're out there, stop lying to me. No kidding. <laughs> if you're out there, come and talk to me. I want to know. But even the perfect families, I found, you know, dad had an anger problem, mom had a temper problem, or there was something going on, or uncle this, or cousin that. Or There's no such thing as a perfect family. And you know what the enemy is going to use? Imperfect people that are broken, broken people to break you. And the only way out of that trap is not to harden yourself and not feel and not open and be vulnerable, because that's the, that's the big joke. You, oh, we're, we're never going to cry. We're never going to get hurt. The only way out of that is forgiveness. To truly be able to forgive because the love of God has been put in your heart, you have an ability to forgive people no matter what they do. That is freedom. When you can forgive people no matter what they do to you from a sincere, loving place of saying, I forgive, you have conquered the world. That's where we're headed. Listen, while they're nailing Jesus to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Listen, that is the most powerful thing you can ever do is forgive. Because it's the one thing that we can do that God can do. Forgive. We can forgive. And when we forgive, listen, it's not out of our human intellect. It's not out of our emotional composition. It's because the love of God is in us. Because God forgives, we can forgive. And when we don't forgive, it's not just, oh, well, you're lacking this minor quality. You're giving place to the devil. Because if there's not forgiveness, there's revenge. There's bitterness. Maybe not revenge, but there's definitely bitterness. There's anger. Sometimes it's anger toward People will eventually become anger toward God. All offenses will go back to offense with God. Well, God, if you didn't give me that spouse, then I would, you know, that's the first one Adam pulled, right? This woman that you gave me, then I wouldn't be here, right? It will always, well, God, if you didn't create that person, well, if they never existed, well, what you're saying is it's God's fault, Right? And the moment we start playing the blame game, what we're saying really is, it's not my fault that I made place for this in my life. And if you don't take responsibility, guess what happens? The enemy now has a stronghold in your thinking that says, okay, I've got some room to play here. Because now they're angry and I can work on this thing. Okay? The next thing. Um, <clears throat> unforgiveness. Abuse and rejection. Loneliness, unwanted pregnancies, rejection of unborn babies, single parenting, abusive language, physical, emotional abuse, divorce, deaths of loved ones, dreams of such, miscarriages, abortions, on and on. All these abuses and senses of rejection give place to the devil. Now, you're not a bad person if those things happen to you. I'm telling you, when those things happen to you, the enemy is looking for a place to have access. And if you don't process through trauma in a healthy way, being helped by someone in a healthy way, it will lead to unhealthy patterns of 
dealing with stuff. It'll lead to unhealthy patterns of processing trauma. If, if, if you've been taught when, when you get hurt, just recoil and hide and just blow it over and time will heal at all wounds, listen, that's a horrible strategy. Because what you're really doing is you're pushing everything down. And over time, what will happen is it will come back up, right? Sometimes it comes back up in physical infirmities. Sometimes it comes back up in outbursts of wrath. Sometimes it comes up in depression. Sometimes it comes up in manic depression or whatever. It comes back up. You have to process. Your heart is meant to heal, and the only way it heals is by what Jesus has pointed us to, forgiving and allowing his healing power to come in, right? So trauma and accidents, even things like, and I'll give you a even things like motor accidents and, you know, being whatever, hiking accidents, things like that, those traumas in our life can give place to the enemy because we'll say things like, man, God, why did you let that happen to me? Why did you let that happen? And then all of a sudden a little bitterness comes in, a little anger comes in. Well, God, <laughs> it's funny, but it's not funny. So the other day, you know, Pastor Lloyd and I were out in Houston and somebody busted into his truck, stole my stuff, and it was horrible. I was like, Lord, where the heck was my angel? What was he doing? Was he in there? What's going on here? You know? But our minds so easily shift when trauma happens, we look for someone to blame. Right? I remember uh, when I was a couple of years ago, I was, you know, getting getting ready for deer season and, and putting up, I had a, a blind in my backyard I was putting together and I was gonna sell it and get rid of it. And I was an idiot, guys, like really idiot. I started putting it together, but I didn't put all the bolts in because I was just gonna put it together and take a picture, right? And so somehow, uh, as I was putting it together, I started climbing up on it to adjust something, and sure enough, fell off the dang thing, and then it fell on me, you know what I'm saying? And I was in pain, like horrible pain. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even fall a whole lot. I'd probably fall like, you know, seven, eight feet. That was it all. But I'm getting up there in age, and things don't heal as fast as they used to, you know what I'm saying? So I get up off the, the, the ground and kind of stumble into the house, get on my bed. Nobody was home. Well, one of my sons were home, and he... He, did, he was somewhere. I don't remember where it was. He came in and Dad, are you okay? I'm thinking, uh, I think I'm okay. And it was amazing because I was like, huge amount of pain, like searing through my back. And I was like, Lord, what is going on here? Like, what's going on? And so I called a friend of mine. And uh, he was, you know, works in ministers and healing. And I said, hey, man, this just happened. And I'm in like in horrible pain. Now, listen, I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't like cussing as I was climbing the ladder or, you know, thinking evil thoughts. I just got hurt. And it's amazing. So my friend, uh, Pastor, y'all see me on him, Pastor Lloyd Crosby. So I called him and I said, man, I just fell out of a deer blind, hurting all over. And he did the craziest thing. He took authority over the pain and commanded it to go. And I was like. That's kind of jacks up my theology a little bit. I think I was the idiot. And now we're, and sure enough, like that, it stopped. And I was healed. I was like, what in the world? And the Lord was just pointing me to, like, even when the enemy attacks us in simple accidents and things like that, you have an authority to drive out sickness and disease, the brokenness. Because, listen, your body was built to last forever. When God made Adam, he made him to live forever. And the thing that plagues us, whether it's an accident or a sickness or a disease, whatever, you can take authority over that and command the effects of that to be broken in your life. You can be delivered from it, right? Um, the next thing, curses spoken over your life or family or swearing ungodly oaths. That can, 
give place to the enemy, right? It can give place to the enemy. And sometimes we do it without even thinking about it. Like, oh, man, this is the fun one I never like to hear. I'll move in two steps forward and three steps back. And you say that long enough, and you know what's going to start happening in your life? Two steps forward and 20 steps back, right? What are you doing? I'm not saying just the casual saying that, but when you begin to believe that in your heart, then all of a sudden it begins to manifest in your life. And what have you done? You've given a place for the devil to come in and to torment you. I know uh, friends of mine that, you know, they struggle financially. They're like, oh, man, I'm always struggling financially. Something's always breaking. Just when I think I'm getting ahead, the washing machine breaks, the car breaks. And you know what? Every time I call them, something's broke. You know why? Because they believed a lie, and now there's a stronghold in their thinking. And they believed it long enough to where they really believe they'll never get ahead. And you know what will happen? They will never get ahead. Until somebody comes along or they allow the word of God to get in their mind and break that way of thinking. And how do they do that? By putting the word of God in. Okay. The, is that the last thing? Close to the last. Yeah, the last thing. Involvement in false. Um, well, let's hit these notes real quick. Um, receiving items associated with witchcraft. And this is kind of a, we don't spend a lot of time on it. But there is an element of truth to this. Um, receiving items associated with witchcraft, such as books, charms, trinkets, souvenirs. People have spiritual powers, and we cannot be naive to believe they cannot influence us. Joshua 6.18 talks about when the children of Israel took over Jericho, God told them to leave the accursed things, right? Idols, things like that. Even, well, literally everything, right? Because he said it was accursed. And they took it, right? You remember the battle of Ai? When Achan, the son, I think it was Achan, took it and he hid it in his tent. It was a cursed thing. It literally caused death, a lot of death in the, in the camp of Israel. Listen, this is, and it's kind of a, a minor point here, but it's very important. This is why tithing is so important. It's not just an Old Testament principle. Because when we give the first of everything to the Lord, he blesses it and he breaks the curse off of it. Right? He became a curse for us so we could live in the blessing. That's why tithing is so important. You're breaking. You don't know where. You don't want to be subject to the power of mammon, the spirit that controls money. And the way you break that curse off of your life is tithing. Give it to the Lord first. And when you give him the first 10%, it breaks the power of the enemy's ability to manipulate you in finances. That's why tithing is important. It has nothing to do with funding a church. It has everything to do with blessing your life, right? Curses spoken over your life. And listen, sometimes we speak curses over ourselves, over our kids. Well, you'll never be, you're always going to be an idiot. You're always going to struggle. Listen, those things plant somewhere in that child's mind. And guess what? They'll begin to believe it, especially if they hear it over and over and over. And listen, I'm some of you are like, well, man, I really messed up. There's a way out, <laughs> Right? It's repentance. It's going back and putting in the right things. Listen, I've had to apologize to my kids more than anybody else in the world, right? Because they get to deal with me more than anybody else in the world. But I have to go back and say, man, I said that was wrong. What I said was wrong. And this is what the truth really is. And listen, that's how it happens. Okay, move on with me. Um, <clears throat> receiving items associated with witchcraft, such as books, charms, trinkets, souvenirs. Um, this happens a lot in the East. In fact, where I come from, they pray over stuff all the time and curse it and hand it out as good luck charms and stuff. And 
very exposed to the demonic. But listen, our culture is being inundated with that kind of ideology now, where people are into charms and tarot cards and whatever the, you know, new age stuff is and candles and crystals and all that stuff. And listen, it's hard to keep up with what is what comes from where, and that's why the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit is so important. Listen, if I'm in my house and the Holy Spirit says to me, hey, what if, where did you get that? Get it out of this house. I don't even ask any questions anymore. I'm just getting it out. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes people give me things, and there's just something inside me that says, this doesn't feel right. It's gone, right? And I'm not saying we live in this hyper, hyper-static sense of fear, but I'm saying when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, get rid of some stuff. Tonight, some of you are going to go home, and the Holy Spirit's like, let's do a little house cleaning, right? That doesn't give you the right to throw away the things you don't like that your wife wants to keep, right? Or vice versa. But sometimes the Holy Spirit's saying, you need to get rid of, listen, get rid of some movies. Get rid of some music. Because there's things attached to those, and we're not like, you know, oh, voodoo stuff. There's literally spiritual messages attached to things that you have to get out of your life. One of the things in the, Psalm, in the Lord's Prayer that, we, that Jesus taught his disciples to pray was, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What does that mean? Sometimes when he's, not, when he's leading us away from temptation, we can't see what's going to happen. He's just making us, allowing us to avoid it if we'll just obey. And if you're one of those, pardon me a language here, if you're one of those dummies, they're like, but I got to see what it's going to do. You're going to end up with a lot of bumps on your head, right? Just be obedient and get rid of it. Well, you know, Stephen, I got to make sure. Listen, a little obedience goes a long way. So you throw away an extra CD or a movie or two that didn't have significance. Big deal. It's not going to hurt you any. Does that make sense? Rather, move in obedience, and God will honor your willingness to obey rather than your unwillingness, which can lead to rebellion. Does that make sense? Okay, you still with me? Um, Involvement in false religious practices, occultic, obviously, obviously. But I say this, and I put this in here because we are in a entertainment culture now that has that uses the demonic and uses witchcraft as a form of entertainment. Listen, I'm gonna and you might not like me after this. But listen, if your kids are reading Harry Potter, you're exposing them to demonic activity. Well it just helps them read. It helps a lot more than that. It's helping waken things in their soul that do not need to be awakened. It's helping make a place for the enemy. I'm not going to be ashamed of saying things like that because, listen, I remember the first time I went to Mexico on, the, not, uh, on a mission trip as an adult, and we were out in this far east side, way past Laredo, way over there, small little town, and it's right when Harry Potter, uh, the books came out, and, you know, I'd heard all about it and stuff, and it was translated in Spanish and brought to that community prior to us getting there. And one of the teachers said, we have problems. Sunday school teacher said, we're having problems with the kids. We can't control the kids. I said, what's going on? And she told me that it didn't start until these book series came in. And the kids learned how to do seances from the book. I'm like, what in the world? Listen, you think the enemy's playing fair? He's not. Movies, videos that open our mind to witchcraft, there's a, the clear, scriptures clearly tell us, don't mess with that stuff. Not because, oh, we're scared of it. No, because it will destroy your life, right? He says, leave the sorcerers, leave the witchcraft, leave that stuff alone. 
Because it's not going to lead you to healthy places. It's going to make a place for the devil to come in. Right? Okay, if you're offended, we'll pray for you later. Where are we at? Okay. The difference between demonic possession and carnal behavior. Carnal behavior is the doorway to demonic oppression. Now, look at this passage in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Y'all still with me? We're almost done. Paul, writing here at the end of Galatians, says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, now watch what he says here, the works of the flesh, the carnal man, the unredeemed man, they're evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, which means sinful abandon, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you, this list of things that he places here, you don't need a demon to help you to do it. You can do it by yourself. But here's the thing. If you get into the practice of these things, it will open a door to give place to the enemy. Any one of them. You make a practice of adulterous thoughts, watching adultery on TV, watching it in sitcoms. There's adultery happening, and I'm watching it happen. It may be just soft porn. It may not be even porn at all. It's just the, I'm reading books about it, novels about it. What am I doing? I'm giving a place. Right? I'm giving a place. Fornication, which kind of covers all sexual sins. Right? It's lustful passion that is not in the confines of what marriage should be. There's only one way sexual relationships can work. Marriage. A husband and a wife. That's the only way it'll work. Anything else is against the law of God. And you know what will lead to? A place for the devil to come in and wreak havoc in your body, in your mind, in your emotions. God gave us clear ways. There's only one way you can worship. It's Jesus. If you try something else, it will give a place for the enemy to come in and wreak havoc in your life. Right? As he's talking about these things, the works of the flesh, all I'm telling you is, they're like the doorway. You're cracking the door open for the demonic voices of the enemy to come into your thinking. Now, how, this is the fun part, how do you get rid of it, right? How do you get rid of the demonic power? Number one, you need to know that you have authority to fight or speak the demonic out of your life. Here's what gets challenged when you give place to the devil. The devil grips you with shame and you feel like, I can never get out of this. That's the big lie. Shame comes in and you feel like, I'm not worthy enough. I deserve this. Or I'm always going to struggle with this. My grandpa always struggled with it. I'm going to struggle with it. And, and you believe a lie. Shame comes in and grips you and makes you hide. But here's the truth. As a follower of Jesus, you've been set free. Jesus says, whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. But you, can't auto, you don't automatically get freedom and bam, it's done, and you have no part in it. You have to believe you're free to start the journey of getting free, right? You have to believe that you're righteous to start the journey of being righteous. It's crazy how it happens. When I begin to believe I'm the righteousness of God, that God has made me righteous, and I'm 
without sin because of what Jesus has done in me, it drives me to live righteously, right? But if I always live with a consciousness, I'm always going to struggle with this. You know what will always happen? I'm always going to struggle with that sin. You have to tell yourself the truth until you believe the truth, right? I kind of wrote a book about that. You should check it out. Um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. John says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, and is now already in the world, and you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because, listen, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We know this scripture. Now, John is speaking specifically here about the spirit of Antichrist and a heresy that was pervading the church called the Gnostic heresies, which taught that Jesus wasn't really human, that he was a hyper spirit between human and and spirit, and he was kind of like this aberration. He wasn't really a man. And so that's why John says here, that heretical teaching, the spirit that's driving that will not confess that Jesus came in the physical body. Listen, Jesus came in a physical body right? He walked the earth 2,000 something years ago, died on a cross, rose again, right? Any spirit that can't confess that is not of God, right? So the first thing we do to fight demonic power is this. Listen, we have to know that greater is he that is in me than the one that's in the world, which means what? I should not be afraid of demons. Demons should be afraid of me, right? I'm hoping when I wake up, the alarms go off in hell. He's awake. Get ready. (laughs) Right? That's the way it should be happening. We shouldn't be afraid. The biggest, baddest demon you can think of, listen, has to bow to the weakest Christian that there is. Right? Jesus says it like this. From all the prophets to John the Baptist, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than all the prophets. Why? Because in us dwells who? Jesus. And when if the name of Jesus comes out of your mouth with the authority that you know you have, every demon has to bow. We are not subject to the enemy's devices. We have authority over that. You have to know that authority. The next thing, humble yourself and cast your cares on Jesus. What does that mean? If there's sin in my life that I've given place to the enemy, I have to humble myself and say, Listen, guys, it's really simple to say, ready? I was wrong. I'm wrong. And God, I repent. What does that mean? Changing this. I don't agree with this anymore. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 says very clearly, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that word right there in 1 John 1, 9, when he says confess, it doesn't mean just give the list of the things you've done wrong. The word confess means say the same thing God is saying about sin. What you're saying is, this is wrong. I gave into this, and it is wrong. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm taking responsibility. This is wrong. The way I acted, the what I watched, what I said, fill in the blank. That is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because you're saying it's wrong. God, you said it's wrong, so I'm saying it's wrong. I'm saying the same thing about my sin. And if I confess, say the same thing about my sin, that God says my sin is 
that he is what? Faithful and just to forgive. Listen, sometimes you have to say the same thing God is saying over and over and over and over while you're battling with sin. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is not righteous. This is not who God is. And this is not who I am. When you get to the this is not who I am, you're on the cusp of victory. I'm not a liar. I'm not a fornicator. I'm not a thief. I'm not depressed. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you begin to get that into your heart. And guess what happens? Deliverance starts happening. How do I get an idea like that from my head to my heart? It's really simple. It's this magic formula called repetition. The more I repeat what God is saying to me and I get it, get it in my heart, begin to believe that I'm the righteous nature of God in Christ Jesus, the more freedom I begin to have. Now, the next thing Peter says here, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you and do in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Watch what he says here. Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings you are experienced, you are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I'm sorry. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Listen, we have to stand fast against the work of the enemy. What does that mean? Keep fighting that place that has been given to the enemy, keep fighting to get it back. It's in your thinking. Okay. Paul, Peter's also emphasizing here that we aren't to let our guard down. Listen, there's a place in walking with Jesus where you have victory over strongholds in your life. It's not a forever fight. But there's always an enemy that's going to try to creep back in. There's always an enemy that's going to keep trying to attack, right? And so you have to know, I'm not giving him a place anymore. You close the opportunity him to speak to you. Okay, I wish I had time to go into that, but I'm running out of time. Okay, look here, the last thing. Identify and renounce, and this is the big part, renounce sins, behaviors, and open doorways, and other things the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. So right now, they're going to crank on some music here in just in a second. Here's what we're going to do tonight. And listen, I'm telling you guys, this works for me. I've done it a thousand times, so don't feel ashamed if you find yourself, hey, I need some help here tonight. But here's what I've found. When I get in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, when I ask him to show me the things that are holding me captive, he'll tell me. He'll say, hey, Stephen, listen, you got an anger problem. He'll say, hey, Stephen, you got, and he'll tell me exactly what it is, right? And then I have a choice. I could either repent or I can make an excuse. Well, God, it's not really that bad. I mean, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, Right? I'm not so bad, or, or compare, and then I start comparing myself to people that aren't even following Jesus, right? <laughs> right? We do that. Well, I know, God, I got, a little, I got a little gambling problem, but listen, so-and-so lost millions. I'm only lost a few hundred dollars. You know what I'm saying? Like God's in the comparison. Oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> no. When the Holy Spirit confronts sin in our life, confronts bad ways of thinking, confronts the place that we've given to the enemy, the best response is to say, you're right, I'm wrong. And I humble myself and I need your help. Listen, he can't start helping you until you ask for help. We would love to think that God can go around just kick people over and be like, get that sin out of their life. We'd all be knocked over if that was the case. But he doesn't. He's not gonna make us obey him. We have to choose to humble.
humble ourselves and say, I repent. And that's such a hard thing because many times in our culture and even in church culture, we want to excuse wrong behavior. Well, it's just a, you know, character flaw. Yes, all of us are flawed in character. That's why we need to repent and say, I'm broke. Well, it's just my personality. All of our personalities, they're broke. There's only one personality that's not broke. It's Jesus, right? That's why the scriptures are so clear. This is where the line is. These are the works of the flesh. And when you enter into this place, you're breaking the law of God. We have to come to him and say, God, I need help. God, I need help. Thank you for listening to Stephen's podcast. To connect with us or to order his book, A Reason for Hope, visit stephensamuel.org. You can also find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, you guessed it, Stephen Samuel. Thanks for listening.